Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. I'm Damian Bulwa, Metro Editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. Today we have a special episode of Fifth and Mission. I'll be talking to reporter Kevin Fagan about Tyson Filzer, who fell into homelessness and drug addiction on San Francisco's streets. Back in April, the Chronicle ran a photo of Tyson. His family saw it, and they asked Kevin to try to help them rescue Tyson and pull him from the streets. Incredibly, the effort worked, and Tyson left the city for rehab. But last week, as Kevin will tell us, the story ended in tragedy. We'll be right back with Kevin Fagan. Kevin Fagan, this story begins in April when you're writing about a proposal for a new navigation center for homeless people on the Embarcadero Center. Sure does. Yep. So you're out there and you write the story and one of the people you talk to to get the perspective of homeless people is a man who tells you about the navigation center, how it would affect him, and his photo then runs with the story in the paper. Yeah, he was unusually thoughtful, and I needed a thoughtful guy for that story. Jessica Christian, photographer, and I found him on the ground uh, and got a quote, had a good conversation, moved on, story ran, big photo was the leadoff photo. So his name is Tyson Filzer, and someone sees that photo in the Chronicle. What happens next? Well, that someone was his brother in Ohio, a guy named Barron, who hadn't seen him in seven years. He calls me up and says, that's my brother. Uh, I want to rescue him. And I said, okay. And I've, I've had a few experiences like this before. Uh, Barron was, like his brother, unusually thoughtful. He was uh, uh, actually a terrific guy. He's a plant manager back in Ohio, you know, knows his way around making things happen. He quickly raises money to put Tyson into rehab even before he comes out here. Then he flies to San Francisco and hires an interventionist and says, let's go find him. Okay, so in that early stage, what do you learn about Tyson and Barron and how they lost touch? Well, Tyson had always been in a bit of a hurry. He, uh, he went to college, didn't finish college, uh, wanted to go be a salesman, become a, you know, a guy who had things swinging. Um, it didn't work out for him. In the recession of 2008, he uh, became jobless, and then got into more booze and then heroin. The two of them had actually grown up in Danville, which is an upscale suburb just outside San Francisco. Uh, Dad had a good job, mom had a good job. They went to a great high school right there in this upscale town. Uh, They had a future. It was looking good when, uh, when he was a young man. So Barron loses touch with him and really, what, has no way to reach him, correct? Right, the guy was homeless. Homeless people don't stay in touch very well. They don't make appointments. And Tyson had essentially unplugged. He wasn't talking to anyone. He wasn't contacting anyone. He was lost. 
Baron doesn't know whether he's alive or dead, but he sees the picture. He calls you. Why does he need you? Because I was the last guy I saw him. And I talked to a lot of homeless people. I've been covering homelessness for a long time. Uh, and uh, fortunately for Baron, I do know where to look. And I had a pretty good idea about where we could find him. Uh, most homeless people don't just stay in one spot. They move around. But I had a pretty good idea. Okay, so the photo runs on April 14th in the Chronicle. And by 12 days later, Barron's on an airplane. And he arrives in San Francisco. And what happens next? Well, he hired an interventionist named Vicki Lucas, terrific gal, very experienced with drug rehab, uh, to try to get Tyson into rehab if we could find him. So the three of us uh, set out. We met uh, uh, Barron right in downtown San Francisco, and they said, all right, where do we go next? So I led them on a merry tour of drug camps and drug hangout spots and injection centers and uh, homeless uh, sprawls that I knew and that I had a feeling that Barron would be hanging out in. He, was, he wasn't super down and out. Uh, I knew he shot heroin. Um, I just, we just took off. Now, obviously, Kevin, you're, you're doing this. There's a potential story here. It represents a lot of people's search for relatives who have, uh, are in the grips of drug addiction in San Francisco. Um, did you think that it was going to be successful when you guys set out? I wasn't sure. I had a good feeling that we would find Tyson. And, and to tell you the truth, when <clears throat> Baron called me and he came out, I wasn't really looking for a story. I thought, no, this is just the right thing to do. Help the guy find his brother, you know, take him wherever he's going to take him, and you've done your good deed for the day. But as the experience deepened, I thought, wow, maybe I really should write about this. And fortunately for me, Baron and Tyson were willing to talk. Okay, so what do you find? Are, are people giving you clues? Um, are you getting closer to finding him during the day? Yeah. We went first to the spot with the cardboard where Jessica and I had seen Tyson and moved from there. Uh, up along the Embarcadero, there's a, a pretty good string of, of hangout spots and one kind of camp there. So we just asked. Uh, and Barron had printed out that photo of Tyson that had run in the Chronicle and was showing it to everyone saying, have you seen this guy? Have you seen this guy? And he was, uh, uh, he was unusually forthcoming. He was, he was good. He was good with people. It's not, not everyone knows how to talk to homeless people. But he was good right away, and he hadn't done a lot of that. And so, actually, Vicky and I and and Baron were showing this photo around, and we had a couple of hits. Uh, one guy said, "Oh yeah, I know him. He's he's smart." That's what we kept hearing. Uh, Tyson is smart, and and they knew his of, name. They knew his name. He's one of the good guys. They said, uh, "Try him two blocks away." Uh, then, of course, when you're looking for homeless people, the the same kind of thing happens. Try him two blocks away. Try him in this, the shitty hotel up in the Tenderloin. No, he's over in a drug rehab center. Oh, wait, no, I think he left town. And, you know, it was one of those. But you have to try all those outlets to figure out where you're going. And by the way, he was using that photo because the photos that he had from several years before, he looked nothing like he did. No, he looked like a typical Danville suburban guy. Clean cut. You know, happy look on his face. You know, you, you can tell. A lot more weight on his frame. Yep. 
Yeah, you can you tell a few things by looking at folks. Not you know, not all the stereotypes play fully, but this one he he looked he didn't look anything like he did in the street. All right. So how does this search kind of come to a close that night? Well, we were pretty sure after talking to folks that he was hanging out on the tenderloin at least for the evening because he he kind of migrated from the embarcado up to the uh, to the tenderloin, which is a pretty wide area. Uh, and we had run into a few of his good friends uh, in a couple of injection spots where, you know, the junkies were sitting on the street and supporting each other as they all shot up and, you know, copped food and drugs and did their thing. And one of them, this uh, really smart uh, addict named Seven, that's his street name, said, yeah, 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 I think I'm going to see Tyson. I'll call you if I find him. And several hours went by where it was it was starting to get really dark and really late. And Vicky and Baron and I said, all right, we're going to give it another shot tomorrow. We'll see if we get a call. So they went back to their hotel room. I went home and we waited. And then you got a call? Yeah, we got a call something around 10 o'clock at night or so uh, that Seven was standing at the corner of Willow and Larkin in the Tenderloin, which is a super heroin camp area. Uh, uh, with Tyson. And so Vicky and Baron dashed over there in their car. I dashed over there in my car. We all hit that corner. And Baron gets out of the car and sees his brother and is kind of blown away. Wow. What is that, what is that moment like? I mean, what do they say to each other? It's a, it's a really, it, I found it enormously touching. Uh, Baron walks up to Tyson and says, you know, hey, Tyson looks at him with this thousand-yard stare of a guy who's been lost for years and years. And they're a little awkward, and then they hug. And then Baron says, want to go for a ride? Tyson says, yeah. And he gets in the car, leaves most of his stuff. I think he takes a bag with him, but he was trying to sell junk on the sidewalk like all the other addicts to raise a few bucks for the next bag, and off they went. Wow. So he's got a plan to try to take him off the street, and does he talk him into it? Yeah, it didn't take a whole lot of talking. Uh, the three of us had talked all day about, you know, approaches uh, for, you know, how to how to get Tyson to think about maybe doing rehab because you can't force someone into rehab. They'll walk out. Uh, you, they have to want it. And so we get into the hotel room, and there's this great photographer named Nick Otto that we often hire here at the Chronicle. And he went to the hotel with us, and uh, uh, we're all in this one unit. And Baron and Tyson are sitting on the bed, and Baron is saying, you know, I, I've got a life. I've got a life in Ohio. Here's a picture of my daughter. You can meet her. She's three years old. Tyson looks at it and he just says, man, oh man, I would really love that. And Baron tears up. Uh, Nick and I are crying. The interventionist is sitting there just ready to pounce. And after this moment goes by, the interventionist says, you want to go meet this kid? You want to have a life again? 
here's your chance. I'll take you to rehab. And Tyson says, okay. And he meant it. Kevin, I have to imagine that one of the reasons why this story is so emotional for you is you've been in situations like this and you know the hopes of people like Baron who have people that are out on the edge like Tyson. Yeah, I have. I've, I've, I've slept along the, on the sidewalk alongside people like Tyson and seen them die and written their obits and occasionally you see someone come out of it and, and regain their lives. And seeing this, it gave me such wonderful hope that this could work out. Uh, I could, Baron is a terrific human being, and it turns out his whole family is. And Tyson is a smart guy who could have a future. He, I've, I was rooting for this guy, really rooting for him. So they leave town. You do indeed um, write an incredible story on the front page of the Chronicle about the brothers. Yeah. Um, and then what happens? Uh, what happens to what happens to Tyson in the next months? He actually blossoms. He he first he goes to a rehab in the Sierra foothills. Uh, that was just a detox. And then Baron and Vicky found him this amazing spot in Mississippi. It's a horse farm where you know you're living in the trees, nature. Horses. Horses are actually a really good rehab tool because they're animals who don't talk back. You can, it's, it's therapeutic. And he gets clean and he starts posting these photos of himself and of the mountains and of, of placid streams. You can tell he's become a more healed human being and he's enjoying life. He's, he's digging where it's going. He's, he's buying into the rehab. Uh, and it was all looking pretty good. We were talking on Facebook, he and I, and, uh, and Baron and all his friends were weighing in saying, you know, good for you. Go. We're all behind you. It was looking great. So you're actually keeping in touch with the family? Yeah. Checking Baron, on his progress? Yeah. Baron and, and Baron's wife, Tasha, and I were talking and we'd text and they'd send me photos and I'd send them a couple of photos and uh, it was it was looking great. And I I was actually... I told him, I think, you know, I want to do a follow-up at some point. Let's do, a, let's do a happy ending story. And stories like that can give people hope. Absolutely. There are so many people. It's op- opioid addiction and death is such an epidemic around the country. I think it's, it's our responsibility to show people that there is a way out here and there. So, Kevin, um, this week in the office you um, – you started to receive uh, communications, I believe, from from Tasha, Baron's wife, right? Yeah. It was... And I, you were um, devastated when you started to receive them. Uh, walk us through those. Yeah. Uh, just a, around 9-11, a little bit after, I started getting texts from Tasha saying uh, Tyson's left his sober living house near our home in Ohio and he's heading back to San Francisco. I thought, what the heck? What is that about? Uh, and I said, you know, are you talking to him? And so we had some conversations over texts. And Baron and I then talked on the phone uh, late that week. And I said, well, what's going on with Tyson? He said, man, I, he's just given up for now. Uh, he turned off his phone. I don't know where... Exactly, he is, but he's heading to San Francisco. Here's his phone number. 
So I texted Tyson because uh, he had a new phone. And I said, you know, call me when you get into San Francisco. Uh, uh, what's going on? Text me anything. I'm, I'm, I'm over here. Uh, you know, call me when you get in. And did you hear from him? I didn't. I didn't, and neither did uh, Baron or Tasha once after a certain point, once he got close. And again, no way to get a hold of him for the family. Right. It's once you're lost, once you disappear into the street, you're gone. you got to want to be found unless someone goes out and makes an extra effort like we did back in April. And do you know why he slipped? Do you have any sense of it? It's tough. Uh, it's, a, it's a common thing about 60% of uh, rehab drug addicts relapse and and it can take several tries. One thing that gave me hope was that Tyson had actually tried to rehab a couple of times before. This was the most intensive try and it looked like it was going to stick. He turns out to have had a diagnosis of bipolar uh, disorder which complicates things and he was just struggling with the whole part of of starting at the bottom again. You know, he had a job in a deli, and he had used to be a salesman and a mortgage broker. You know, he wanted to be doing stuff for bigger money quicker. Uh, like, as, as Barron said, he didn't seem like he wanted to put in the work. To, he was getting impatient, and he got depressed, and he went off a bunch of meds. You know, he was screwing up. So, Kevin, then you receive a text on your phone from from Barron's wife. Yeah, I texted her Tuesday morning and said, "Well, any word? Uh, you know, let's let's think about how to find him." And she sent me a text saying, "Tyson is dead." Wow. So this was last Tuesday. Um, I remember talking to you in the office that day as you received that and. And then um, you got in touch with the family, right? Yeah. Yeah, I said, let's talk. And, you know, they were busy. They, you know, had to take the kid to school and, you know, talk to the medical examiner and kind of get stuff in order. Uh, And so after a little bit, I did connect, and they told me what happened, that he had overdosed uh, on the street and, in fact, in the same damn block where we'd found him like four months before. It was just a the really same block in the tenderloin where the two brothers had uh, looked at each other for the first time. Yeah, yeah. He circled right back, thousands of miles away, right back to that spot, and shot up too much of something. It's it was heroin, uh, and he had the drug paraphernalia around him. Medical examiner has to do toxicology tests, and those take a while. But they told Baron, "Hey, this looks like a." A lot of other overdoses we've seen. This is, you know, that it killed him. And hearing that after all that you had um, involved yourself in the story and all that you'd been through in terms of building a relationship with the family, um, what was it to hear that news? It felt terrible. You know, it's, uh, I really, I really cared. cared a lot still care they're, they're good people you shouldn't die from drugs it's the, the most awful damn thing in the world 
or at least among the most awful damn things in the world. But someone dying from drugs is an absolute tragedy for everyone. And now what, is, what does Barron say about the effort, um, even though it ended this way? Does he, um, does he have any regrets? To, does he feel like he did the right thing? Yeah, he's beating himself up, and so is Tasha. Uh, but what they've, they've come to, which, is, which I think is a really healing and, and right way to think about it, is that they got to give this guy a good few months of his life, that he got to see the light for four good months. He got to meet his niece. He got to uh, connect with people. He, he got to hang out with his dad again. Um, it was, you know, it wasn't a terrible way to go out if you're going to have to go out and it, like the way he did. Uh, they're, they're holding on to the, the, the good part, and that, that's, that's useful. You want to think about what worked instead of just wallowing in what didn't. And I think Baron said he would do it all again if, if given the chance. Yeah, he did. And he'd, uh, he, you know, he and Tasha, they didn't really, well, they didn't live in the world that involved drug addiction and trouble like that. Uh, they have a nice, peaceful, drug-free life. But th- this gave them a lot more empathy for people lost in addictions. And uh, they, they have more empathy now, uh, more understanding and, you know, this enormous mountain of sadness. They were sad before. It, it's sad to lose a brother like that, not know where he is, uh, know that he's probably in some terrible trouble, which he was for year after year after year. They got to find him, get answers, and reconnect with him. And that's what you hold on to. All right, Kevin. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you for the story. Um, it's an it's an incredible tale, uh, terrible, but but thank you for telling it. Oh, you bet. Thanks for running it. Thanks to our guest reporter Kevin Fagan, to Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.